Welcome to Devotions in the Deep End. I'm Cam Buchanan, and this is a carefully crafted devotional journey through the New Testament. Let's venture into deeper water as we consider what it means to follow Jesus in the world we live in now. Welcome back to Devotions in the Deep End. We are still exploring the section of the New Testament known to us as the Sermon on the Mount. We have just completed a section that speaks about our devotional practices of giving, prayer, and even fasting. Now we'll pivot into something different. Let's read together from Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear? Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus has seamlessly moved along in his teaching from acts of devotion to the ambition and vision of those who would follow him. The premise of this passage is that disciples are going to need to make some choices and even sacrifices if they are to follow Jesus in all things. And in the case of this particular section of teaching, all things includes the one that often pulls the strings of our character, our wallets. Now, before we get a little nervous about this subject, let me offer some assurances. It's perfectly okay to save money and plan for future things. It's okay to have a holiday, a television, a luxury or two. It's perfectly fine to have a rainy day fund. Proverbs 6 actually praises the proverbial ant for its ability to store food in summer for its winter needs, while the proverbial sluggard sits around wasting his time. The Apostle Paul writes several times about it being good and even right 
to work a job and earn money. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10, he writes that anyone who is unwilling to work shall not eat. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul writes that anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has actually denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And later in that letter, we read that the Lord does in fact give us things for our enjoyment. But having said all that, there is a call from Christ here in this passage, and the whole Sermon on the Mount for that matter, to live with eternity as a major part of our life perspective. And even our finances are not exempt from this viewpoint. Jesus says here that when all you live for is temporal, it will corrode, it will wear out, and it is not secure, it can be stolen. But when you live with an eye on eternity, much of what you invest in, finances included, will have eternal value and will not be taken away by any force. If you are looking for an example of how this can be applied, let's consider Luke's version of this sermon and these verses in Luke chapter 12, verses 32 to 34. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Just a couple of chapters later, Luke quotes Jesus again in chapter 14, verse 12 to 14. When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Simply put, building treasures in heaven is the attitude of holding a value system that matches the values of the kingdom of God as taught by Jesus. This means valuing people like God does and using our resources to invest in those who are not able to speak for themselves, being generous to others and doing things intentionally, knowing you won't be repaid are great examples on how to invest in what Jesus would call treasures in heaven. And once this idea of treasure is laid down, Jesus then offers some great ways that we can keep our eternal perspective in check. The first one is simply this. Before you invest, check your vision. In the Psalms, David made some great statements about the vision of his own life. In Psalm 16, verse 8, he writes, I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. In Psalm 25, 15, he writes a similar thing. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. In our main passage, Jesus tells us that the desires and the condition of our eyes determine the things that we consider to be treasure. A good eye or a healthy eye in the Greek means to be single in vision, while a bad or unhealthy eye actually means to be actively evil or malignant. So essentially, Jesus is saying that in the context of our financial choices, we can make healthy ones by being steadfast and not diverted in life. 
A healthy eye sees the big picture of both our earthly and eternal responsibilities, and we unwaveringly commit to investing in those things without being sidetracked. But when we reject those treasures and only focus on temporal things, something malignant begins to birth within us and the way we see things. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we read of seven very different churches and what Jesus has to say to them. As we consider the main topic of this episode, two of those churches stand out in a significant way. In the ancient city of Smyrna, the church had no money through the circumstances and the persecution around them. But Jesus saw their eternal perspective on life, and as a result, he called them rich. No money, but good eyes. In the ancient city of Laodicea, the church had become rich in earthly wealth. But because they were completely focused on this, Jesus determined that they had malignant eyes in that they could no longer see their own spiritual wretchedness. If we wish to invest in eternal treasures, then vision matters. So be single-minded and don't allow the malignancy of the world to be the most attractive option in our lives. The second perspective check is found in verse 24. Check your master, God or money. Some Bible translations actually have the original Aramaic word in them. Modern translations use the word money, but some older translations will have the word mammon. This word mammon went through a bit of an evolution in meaning in ancient Israel. It was originally translated as wealth entrusted. And with that understanding, it was said you extended the concept of mammon to a trustee or a bank or some other steward of your finances. However, by the first century, it came to mean wealth that is trusted. The end bit had been lost and the meaning completely changed. There is a popular view among scholars that when an Aramaic word is used in an English translation, you are dealing with a proper noun, in other words, a name or a personality. We see this with Abba being used to describe God as a father. And we see it now with Mammon being used to describe money. For this reason, Mammon is said by some scholars to actually be an ancient pagan god of wealth. Although this view is out there, there isn't anything absolutely concrete to prove that. But I can see the idea in Jesus' teaching here, that money does have a certain personality about it. Jesus puts God and money on a similar level here in that they both have a spiritual person. He calls them both masters, or in the Greek, kurios, meaning authority, master, owner, or lord. Jesus also says that we have an ability to serve these to literally join ourselves as bond servants to one or the other. They can both be deified. They can both be worshipped and become an object of devotion. But Jesus is very clear here. In those who follow Christ, these two cannot cohabitate. The teaching tells us that we will end up hating and despising one in order to love and be devoted to the other. To hate here means to hold a malicious stance about something. The word for love here, whether it be money or God, is the Greek word agape. So whichever one we choose to follow gets our undying and unconditional love and attention. 
both God and money seek to be a master. That's what Jesus being Lord means, where he takes charge of the deepest part of our being. And so can money. And Jesus is clear, to worship one comes at the complete expense of the other. The psalmist writes this in Psalm 123, verses 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to you, to you who sits enthroned in heaven, as the eyes of slaves look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a female slave looks to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. If we want to keep the right eternal perspective, we need to choose our master truthfully and carefully. Who are we clearly devoted to? Who are we cleaving to as a willing bondservant? Both God and money call for it, but only one can truly have it. The next perspective check is found in verses 25 to 30. Check our mindset. In these verses, two mindsets are spoken of worry and faith. They are linked in this passage very clearly, leading us to conclude that to have worry is to be a person of little faith. Again, these two forces oppose each other, and we are required to take a stand on which side of the ledger we want to operate from. We are being called to choose the mindset that will best suit an eternal outlook, and that best right mindset is faith. Jesus is not forbidding careful thought or even forethought here. Neither is he promising a financially trouble-free faith life. He is, however, pretty hard on the concept of worrying about it all, and his teaching shows just how ineffective worry actually is. See how simple Jesus puts it. See the birds and how they fly around without a care in the world. At the end of the day, they get fed because the perfect heavenly Father feeds them. It's interesting that Jesus refers to the Father here instead of simply God. He goes on to say that you matter more than the birds. So if they do okay, then your worry seems a bit unnecessary, don't you think? Does worry even help the situation? Will anything change because of the degree of your worry? No, your worry can't do a thing to help you. So stop doing it. Instead, place your faith in the Father who does care for you and knows where you are at. In the context of Jesus' sermon topic here, worry is essentially the inability to trust God with our finances. In the midst of worry, we tend to freeze or we panic. We expect the worst. We hold on to what we know we should release. Through worry, we look inward and downward instead of looking upward and outward. The theologian R.H. Mounts wrote this, Worry is practical atheism and an affront to God. It is a crippling force that downsizes God at precisely the time he should be magnified. Instead of worry, Jesus says we are to embrace faith. The Hebrews 11 verse 1 sort of faith, that amazing attitude where we are sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't yet see. Friend, the truth is this. The things we worry about so readily are just as unseen as the things we have faith for. So we may as well place our trust in what God is certainly doing in the unseen, rather than worry about what merely might be. To live 
with an eternal outlook means to operate with the right eternal mindset. So choose to walk in faith and leave all your worries to the Lord. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7 says to give all your worries and cares to God because He cares for you. One translation says to cast the full weight of your cares on Him because you are His greatest concern. Walk in that mindset and you'll keep seeing the eternal horizon. And the final perspective check is found in verse 34. Check your allegiance. Here is the line in the sand for every disciple. Don't be like the heathen, the pagans, the Gentiles, the unbelievers. Instead, seek the kingdom of God. The way of a non-believer is to store up corruptible and unsecured treasure because eternity is not a cause of concern for them. This is the legacy that they think really matters. The way of a non-believer sees only themselves and their world. It chooses wealth as its master and spends all its time worrying how they can preserve and increase the corruptible treasure they have amassed. But this is not the way of Jesus. Instead, he calls us to seek the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Christ himself came to establish, the kingdom that is eternal in value, even if only partially seen in this life. We are called to seek it and prioritize it, to invest in it, and to live in the righteousness and provision this kingdom provides for us. To love money in the way Jesus warns not to is essentially a form of pagan idolatry, and the kingdom of God becomes a distant and poor second when we live that way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, the Apostle Paul writes to a church in an idolatrous world, and he says to come out from among them and be separate. Be bold enough and faith-filled enough to make that call in your life. Be separate from the pagan way and become a kingdom-minded disciple, where even our wallet is subject to God's sovereignty. The great scholar John Stott wrote this, God's kingdom is Jesus Christ ruling over his people in total blessing and total demand. To seek first this kingdom is to desire as of first importance the spread of the reign of Jesus Christ. Such a desire will start with ourselves until every single department of our life, home, marriage and family, personal morality, professional life and business ethics, bank balance, tax returns, lifestyle and citizenship, is joyfully and freely submissive to Christ. In the 1700s, the great evangelist Jonathan Edwards prayed a famous prayer, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyes. I wonder how well that concept sits with us today. Is there an eternal outlook in us that is untainted by the world? Is there a drive in us to pursue eternal things and to make eternal investments? If God's kingdom and perfect will is our treasure, our hearts will follow. Let's finish this episode with a word of prayer. Jesus, you are calling me to follow you in all things, and my wallet and what it represents is very much part of that journey. Help me to invest all of my life, wallet included, in things that will stand for eternity. Help me to be generous and to give without the expectation of repayment. 
Help me to have good, healthy eyes that sees eternity as the true treasure. I choose you as my master and Lord, knowing that in order to do this, I forsake all other masters in my life. I choose to operate in faith, not worry. I realize now that both require the same sort of energy, so I direct that right now into the things I know I can truly trust. I know that I am of great concern to you, and I trust you completely. And I choose to seek the kingdom of God and its righteousness and its value above all things. I submit all of my being and all of my substance and all of my ways to you, King Jesus. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. To stay in touch, like our Devotions in the Deep End Facebook page and subscribe on Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. I look forward to catching up next time.